book of Luke, chapter number 2, and we will be there in just a moment. Remember, we are taking a break from our study in the book of John, and uh, we've taken four weeks. We are in our third week, and next week we will finish this uh, small, uh, really, if you want to call it an Advent or a Christmas series on Sunday mornings. And what we've been doing is we've taken Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, looked at it in a way verse by verse and the implications that it has for us. But highlighting in particular, uh, when we are finished, we will have highlighted four different songs around the nativity or around the birth of Christ. And that's really what we've been uh, focused on these last few weeks is these songs, or if you would want to call them poems, they're uh, sort of this work, a separate set of lyrics almost, and they're written, a couple of them are written as prayers, uh, a couple of them are written as praises, but either way, they all have something for us, and so that's where we've been looking, and uh, we've mentioned in a little bit in jest and uh, a lot in seriousness the last few weeks that uh, sometimes Christmas songs are what sort of signifies the start of the Christmas season, and some of you we tease and said uh, may start playing Christmas songs in August, and others of us may start, sometimes we get a little uh, trigger happy and jump the gun just a little bit and start playing them maybe before Thanksgiving or at Thanksgiving, and, uh, but you start hearing them in different places, and there's songs written about all sorts of bizarre things that don't have anything to do with uh, Christmas, but we listen to them and we go about with them. Some of them uh, make us nostalgic. Some of them uh, make us happy or joyful, it seems. Some of them may bring back memories in our hearts that uh, may be sore memories, but also maybe uh, good memories. Some of them uh, may just annoy us, and we have mentioned a few of those by name the last few weeks. For time's sake, we won't do that uh, this morning. But I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, if you would, and we're going to look at this third, what we would call a song. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler. There is nowhere that it says that this song was ever sung. In fact, it's never told to us that it is a song. If you would look, we'll look at the uh, two verses and then we'll go back. Look at chapter 13, excuse me, verse 13 and verse number 14 of chapter 2. It's the angels, what we call the angels song, but notice something significant about it. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, it doesn't say singing, Uh, it says glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking of this as a song. Uh, I don't know exactly how the angels said this or sang this. It would ruin a lot of Christmas songs if we said, uh, you know, the angels said uh, a lot of things wouldn't really rhyme with that as we go, you know, hark the angel arrows, hark the herald angels said, I don't know, saw their shepherds in their bed. I, I don't know where we would go from there. <laughs> and so ironically, it is out of the three things that we have, the uh, four things that we're going to look at, these statements, it is the one that is not really labeled a song and it is not actually sung but it is the one that from most songs, Christmas songs, have been written. You don't hear a lot of songs written from Mary's praise. You don't hear a lot of songs written from Zacharias' praise that we studied last week. And then next week we're going to look at Simeon's. We don't hear, you hear bits and pieces of what they said in a song. But this one, you hear all through all sorts of different Christmas songs. But ironically, it's the one that is 
not listed as a song. Also, it's the shortest one out of all of them. Some of you are thinking, amen, that's a good thing, right, for this morning. It's the shortest one of all of them. And so we're going to look at the context of this. Uh, It's the one that actually came from heaven, if you want to look at it that way. The four that we're going to look at, three of them are from the hearts of people, from Mary, Jesus' mother, and then from Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, but also a priest, one who is waiting on the coming Messiah. And then we're going to see Simeon going about his daily method of mode of worshiping God and then realizing that the Messiah had come. And so from his heart bursts a song as well. But this song is different. It is not in response from a human singing toward God, praising him for the Messiah. This is literally from heaven or from this host of angels that are come from God. So you see that this song is markedly different uh, from the other three in so many different ways, but it carries a lot of weight with it, a lot of implication, and it's given to us for a reason. Remember that uh, Luke was a doctor. He's the one Gentile out of all of the gospel writers. He's a doctor, so most likely he's a no-nonsense kind of person. He wants to report and give us facts. We read that in chapter 1 he's writing the book of Luke to increase faith and to push belief. So he's not just uh, romanticizing these events, trying to give it a play. He's not writing a, uh, a Broadway production of Christ's life. He is giving true details of what happened in Christ's life. And that is important that we look at it that way as we walk through it. If you would look at verse number 1, and we're going to walk our way down back into <coughs> this song, but we want to kind of preface it with the circumstances surrounding it. The birth of Christ has been prophesied and given to us. It has been laid out to us. It has been prophesied to Mary, and then now we know that she's expecting. It's been given to Zacharias, and now Elizabeth has, uh, by this time, has born John the Baptist, and so things are falling into place. And look at verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. It's important to note he is a real person. He went by the name Octavius and rose up in the Roman Empire. He is the one that was responsible for the Pax Romana at this point in history, one of the longest and greatest significant bridges, if you want to call it that, of of general peace throughout this area of the world. It was sort of laid the way for everyone to be taxed, as we're going to read in a moment, and travel freely and go to their places because it was a time of peace uh, in that way in the world. So notice it says, there went a decree that all the world should be taxed. We fuss about ours. Now, this is a world tax. Look at verse number two. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius, another real person, was governor of Syria, and that's a real place. We hear about it even today. Look at verse number three. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, he went there because he's from the house of David. But we know that this is also God working to prove he can work however he wants to. Remember, 700 years before, we'll talk about in a moment, Micah prophesied the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. 
And the problem with Mary being the mother of Jesus is that she's from Nazareth. And in that day, they didn't travel. They didn't take vacations or holidays of that distance. So there had to be a reason for them to go there. And God says, I'm going to use a small, seemingly insignificant young lady, and I'm going to direct her life to put her exactly where I want her to be to fulfill all of my promises so that there is no doubt that this one that is coming is the Messiah. Look at verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Notice verse number 8, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So here is the audience of this song. Mary's song had a very small, seemingly insignificant audience. It made a, she may have been by herself. It may have just been Elizabeth or Zacharias or those small group that was there with her. Zacharias had a little bit bigger crowd, those that had gathered to celebrate the birth of John the Baptist. But now the praising song from heaven is going to be sent to Caesar Augustus court. No, it doesn't say that. It's going to be sent to the palaces of Egypt. It doesn't say that either. It doesn't say he's going to be in the temple where all of his people are worshiping or before the high priest or uh, before some uh, these Persian kings that are eventually going to travel. It doesn't say any of those things. It says in the field where there were shepherds watching their flock on a normal night. Look at verse number nine. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So notice before they sing this song, he says this song is a song of good news. It is good tidings, which is a good thing because these people in general have not heard from God in a long time. And Israel, in their own conscience, should have known that they had strayed away from their God. And so now when they have this angel present before them, there is going to be worry, this message from God. What is it going to be? And it is a message of mercy and of good tidings. You notice it says, good news, full of great, this should bring joy. And then it says, and this shall be to all people. So this song or this, this message from heaven is not just to these shepherds. It's not just to the Israelite people. It's not just to the people of Bethlehem. It is to all people. That is the joy of, part of the joy of Christmas this morning is that these songs written to these people are written to us. This is God's good news and of, full of great joy extended to our lives. So what is this message? What is this Song, look if you would in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's focus on, on that verse for a moment before we get into that final uh, place of song in verse number 14. But I want you to notice some things about verse number 11 as we begin. It was a real day. For unto you is born this day. It's a real thing that happened in a real place amongst real people at a real time of history. It is not a story. It is not a Christmas special dreamed up by a TV network to, to sell or to promote or to advertise. It is not something written in a novel somewhere. It's not one of Aesop's fables. It is a real thing that happened on a real day. 
It was a day that was planned for all eternity since the creation of the world. Before man even ever fell into sin, God had planned this day to happen. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, you looked at it as your memory verse in Sunday school this morning, that by Him were all things made, all things were created through Him, and then the end of that verse, and for Him. All of creation, all of history had happened for this day, for this Messiah to be born unto you this day. If you would look at the next part, it says, for unto you is born this day, where? In the city of David. It was a real place, a real city. The city of Bethlehem is where Jesse had lived, the father of David, the great king of Israel that Micah had prophesied 700 years before in his book in chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Notice how he says that there. He says he's going to be the ruler of Israel, but he's already been from old and from everlasting. Well, how is that possible if he's coming later, but he's already been? If one day he's going to be born, but he is from everlasting, the only way that is possible is if he is God himself. If he has always existed, if he has always been, this has always been part of his plan to be born on a real day in this real city. And it is a significant thing that he did this this way. He could have been born in Jerusalem, the capital, the throne place of David, but it doesn't put him there. It starts at a humble beginning. The way that David sort of pictured that years before being chosen and brought out not of his own merit. Remember, he's this scraggly, young, uh, just guy, shepherd on the side of a hill somewhere. And God chooses him through Samuel and brings him to the throne of Israel, not of his own merit, but showing those humble beginnings. And he's saying, Jesus, my son is going to come and you're not going to recognize him. You're not going to know him the same way Samuel didn't recognize David. You're not going to recognize Jesus Christ in the way that he comes, where he comes and how he comes. Why? Because God doesn't work in our way. He works in his own way. He brings this little Mary from hundred miles away and brings her south into Bethlehem to be born there, not in a palace, but in a stable. And we'll emphasize that the next couple of weeks and the significance of the humble beginnings of Christ. It was a real day and it was a real place but notice the significance. It was a real Savior, not a figment of their imagination, not one that had maybe we could force him into being this Savior. Maybe, maybe we'll find out one day it's a real place, a real time. That means that this Savior that has been born is the real Savior of the world. Look, notice it says, born unto you in the city of David, a Savior. The word Savior there just means simply exactly that, to save from sin. And if you have ever sinned against God, you need a Savior, which is all of us. It's this whole entire world. It's everyone in this building. It's everyone in our community. And it's easy to point fingers sometimes, isn't it, and say, that person needs a Savior more than this person. That person seems to have more sin than this person does. But we are all sinners condemned by our own sin before God, worthy to face His judgment because of our sin against Him only God can forgive the sins of the world. Why? Because those sins are against God. 
The significance of Jesus coming as a Savior was that it was from God. He was God Himself. Why is that important? Because our sins are against God. I see two men over here, and if Chris Rovsky stands up this morning and he gets mad because Danny Maul is blocking his view, and he punches Danny right in the face. And I come over and I get Danny up off the floor and I say, Danny, I am sorry for Chris. What does that have anything to do? It doesn't need anything to do with me. Chris is the one that needs to say sorry to Danny. Why? Because his sin or his wrongdoing was against Danny. Well, it wouldn't do any good if Chris came to me and says, I'm sorry for punching Danny. It doesn't do Danny any good if he apologizes to me. It doesn't do anything in this world if our sins are forgiven or let go before people because our sins are not just against people. They're before God. So the significance of this Savior that needed to come He's the ruler, He's the sovereign, He's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of this universe has come. Why? Because only He can save. So this Christmas story in some is that one day in a real city, in a city that was a real place, a Savior came to take away the guilt and sins of the world, which is Christ the Messiah, the anointed one that will fulfill all of our hopes. And then notice the last one. He is Christ the Lord. He has come to defeat all of our enemies, to make us safe and to make us satisfied forever. A Savior that is Christ the Lord. And so we exalt today that Christmas, on this Christmas, we have a great Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, born for a purpose and born for a reason. And from that story is born this little song, if we want to call it that. From that circumstance, that God sending Himself in the form of a Son in this one that has come to Bethlehem, that is born to this insignificant little lady that, that, that is proclaimed somehow to shepherds. And, and what is the purpose of all of this great news? Notice the angel tells what has happened but then it is not until they tell the significance of what has happened that all the other angels join in. It seems as though God is saying one angel can tell you what has taken place. But it is going to take a multitude of angels to explain to you the gravity of what has taken place. I can tell you, this one angel says, that Jesus has come. But it's going to take millions of us to explain how important that really is. And it is one thing this morning to say and know the Christmas story and know what God is trying to do in our lives. And it is another thing to fully comprehend and understand what God has done for us. It should take a host of angels, millions of them, to explain the great purpose of Christ coming to this earth. And so in verse 12 it says, This shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the bay wrapped in swaddling clothes, Lying in a manger, he gives them more detail. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. That's why we assume this, this probably was a song in the way that they're praising God and saying, what is it? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. There's two significant implications of this song this morning. And here they are. They says, Jesus has come. That's what the first angel says. And then the rest of them are going to tell us the great purpose in that. And it is God's glory and man's peace. I want you to look at it again in that song. What does it mean that Jesus came to earth? 
that we can be set free? Yes. Does it mean something that we can now live holy and righteous lives through His help? Yes, and that is important. Does it mean that He's going to establish His church and evangelize the world? Yes, and all those things are important. But at its base sum, the angels of God say the importance of the fact that now He is here is that there is glory going to God and peace coming down to men. I want to look at just those two simple things this morning. God's glory and our peace. The coming of Jesus to this earth is the greatest revelation of the glory of God. Even among the heights of heaven, there is no greater representation of who God is in that God sent His Son and came Himself in the form of Christ, of a man on this earth. There is nothing that should bring greater glory to God than what He did for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. The coming of this child will bring great glory to God, but it will bring great peace to God's people, who will one day fill the whole earth with righteousness and peace. Isaiah 9, 7, prophesying of Jesus, says, of, his in, of the increase of His government and of peace, and peace there will be no end. He is going to keep bringing peace upon this earth the more he reigns and the more he rules and that's not just he's going to set up his own congress or his own government or his own parliament his kingdom is a different type of kingdom we talked about that a few weeks ago his kingdom is far different than what we imagine it's not a physical throne on this earth it is a spiritual one in which he rules the most powerful things that we cannot see that we cannot control he has brought this government to earth and it is not one in which he reigns in terror it is one in which he invites us to his reign of peace it is not that he rules over us with some iron fist and and corrects us each time we sin and do wrong though he is disappointed by our sin He has forgiven it in Christ. And so He invites us to His kingdom, which is one of peace. From Jesus' birth, there now can be glory ever ascending from man to God and peace ever descending from God to man. God's glory sung out among men for the sake of His name. God's peace lived out among men for the sake of His name. There's hardly a better way to sum up what God was doing when He created this world or when He came to reclaim this world than in Jesus Christ. His glory, our peace. His greatness and our joy. His beauty and splendor and perfection then for our pleasure and satisfaction in Him. The point of creation and of redemption is that God is glorious and that is to be known among all men because it brings peace. To experience the peace that he brings is only from Christ. I want you to notice and think about it this way. Since Jesus came to this earth as a baby and even extended further since he died on the cross, has there been physical peace on this earth? And the truth is no, there hasn't been ever since that time. So then is there something off? Is there something wrong? Have we missed something along the way. No, it is that God gives peace in a different way. One day He will extend peace physically. He will reign and rule through this entire universe and there won't be one scathing word or disappointing action. There won't be one fit of violence or act of anger. He will extend peace physically, but He has first extended peace spiritually. And that peace is not given 
to all men immediately. It is extended to all men, but do all men have spiritual peace just because God came to this earth? We all know people, we of ourselves, have experienced a time where we don't have peace in our lives. So what is it that God brings? What is this peace that God brings with him as he comes to earth and the angels sing about it. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Yeah, beautiful pictures. They prophesy that Christ is coming. People are going to know God's glory and it will overwhelm the hearts of them that do. Imagine we were driving back from a uh, game on Friday evening and uh, Trey and I were talking about different things and he was sitting in front, we were talking about different things. We were coming across that bridge at the edge of the river and the, the bay and we're looking out and you can kind of see where the ocean kind of begins. I'm like, man, when you're looking out there and it is just black as night, it was cloudy and stormy, so there's no stars and no moon. It's just overwhelming. It just feels swallowing, like that there's thousands of miles of water that way, and it's as deep as you can imagine, and just to imagine being in the middle of it, just being just overwhelmed and overcome, I can't get away from this, imagine being dropped right in the middle of the ocean, and, and just eventually as you're going down, just a feeling of just, why there is nothing but ocean here, and we should feel that way about the glory of God. When we look around and see God's world that He has created, when we look around and see the people and the relationships that He's given us, and when we look to our hearts and see what God has done in our lives, it should be an overwhelming sense of glory toward God and peace toward myself, toward my heart. Isaiah 9, 7 says, again, of the increase of His government and peace, His peace will overcome this world. And Jesus has come to inaugurate or to bring peace spiritually among the people that would believe in Him. And by peace, I don't mean the absence of conflict and animosity because we'll never experience that here on this earth. You're never going to experience a full day where something doesn't hurt or something doesn't ache or something doesn't go wrong or a thought is not negative or an emotion is not discouraging. You won't experience that, but you can have peace in those things. That's the great promise of this Prince of Peace. It's not that He removes all hardship from us, but that He gives us peace in those things. He gives us joyful tranquility and communication and a relationship with Him. And the main point of peace will revert us back to the beginning of the verse. What is the point of having peace on this earth with God and with others? The purpose of that peace is God's glory. So glory to God and peace on earth. And that peace on earth gives or should give glory to our God. And so what peace you do experience in your life comes from God to be given back to Him in a way that brings Him glory. We can never be separated from God Himself. We can never be separated from Christ. And that should bring peace and a rule and a reign of peace in our lives. God's purpose is not to give us peace by separating from Himself. It's to give us peace by giving us Himself. So the key to peace is keeping together these two things. Glory toward God and peace toward men. You can't separate those things. When we see God in His glory... It should bring peace in our lives. When we see the glorious fact that God came as a Redeemer to save our hearts, that is what brings peace. 
Not what I have, not what I experience, not a lack of sickness and pain, not a lack of sorrow, but that in those things, I have a God who, as Mary sang, is mindful and mighty and merciful toward me. As Zacharias sang last week, he says, God has come and visited us and he has redeemed us and he has remembered us and he has given us remission of our sins and changed our lives. And that should bring peace to my heart and life. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now that's a great verse, right? Isn't that kind of soothing? That's one of those soothing verses as we read. The God of joy bring you, God of hope bring you joy and peace. But there's another two words attached to that phrase, and here they are. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See, there is something there. It's not just that He hands it to you on a platter. It is not that you work for it or that you earn His peace with your works, but there is a faith that has to happen in your own heart and life, a faith that is given by the strength and the Spirit of God. And in that faith, it is not that I see that all is well and so I have peace. It is not, well, I see that everything is progressing and everything is successful and therefore I have peace. It is that in spite of things not succeeding and in spite of things not progressing and in spite of me physically not always being happy, in spite of that, I have faith that God knows and loves me and has extended His mercy toward me. And in that, I have peace. I want to finish with just this quick summation. What does this peace mean to our lives? There's three kind of aspects of peace for us. and I'll just give them to you and then we'll finish with them. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. Christ has brought that to our lives. The most important of those and the most basic of those we have is peace with our God. And that is the one with which we can do nothing about. When you were born to this earth, there was no time where you sitting on the side of a mountain one day or sitting in your car driving from the thing. I, I, I want to have peace with God, and here is my plan to do that. <laughs> there, there's no plan you could form. You are sinful and lost and disgusting. Even your righteousness is as filthy rags. God had to extend His peace toward you. It's like, you know, the little, uh, the little itty-bitty brother that goes up, not that I've ever experienced this, but the little itty brother that comes up and socks the big brother in the side of the face, and then he backs out. He's like, oh, I'm just kidding. You know, I want, I want peace, okay? At that moment, peace is no longer up to him. <laughs> Peace comes from the bigger and the greater and the better and the stronger. And in our sin, we could not make peace with God ourselves. God had to extend peace to us. But the good news is, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, first I extend to you, do you have peace with God? He's extended it to you. But do you have it? Is it there in your life? I'm asking that twofold. Are you a Christian? Have you ever trusted by faith, as the verse says, 
only through His grace, not of works of myself, not of anything I've ever done, not how many good works can I do compared to bad works. There's no form. There's no religion. There's no denomination that can lead me to peace with God. It is, have I accepted what He has extended? And if you have, and you're a Christian this morning, do you live in peace with your God? Because there is a way to be a Christian not be at peace with God. When sin overwhelms my life, when self overwhelms my life, when I stay focused on circumstance in spite of the Savior, peace exits from my life. And though the anger of God has been put away through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through His giving to us on the cross, not just in a manger, not just in a cave that he was born, but in a cave in which he was buried and raised from the dead. God has extended that peace to us, and he wants us to have that peace each and every day. And that leads us to this, peace within ourselves. Now, there's much said of that today. Do you have peace within yourself? You hear of self-care, and those, some of those things are important. Or you hear of being at peace with one body or being balanced, living a balanced life. And all those things are important, but the greatest peace within ourselves, how do we escape that sense of guilt and anxiety that tends to paralyze us? It's by looking to and giving glory to God. A life that is focused on glorifying God is a life that is at peace with themselves. You think about that? That is a great secret. There's no you couldn't write a book and say the secret to peace. I'm sure there are a hundred out there titled that maybe, different things. If you want the secret, and it's not so secret, it's what God gives us. If you want God's plan for peace in your life, it is that I glorify Him so much in my life and in my daily moments. And as I live, I glorify Him so much that I'm at peace with everything else. I'm at peace with what I have. I'm at peace with what I get. I'm at peace with how I live. I'm at peace with where I am. I'm at peace with my age as life progresses on quickly and I can't seem to stop the timing of that. I'm still at peace with this because God is working in my life. Regardless of the circumstances of the relationships that I've had, I'm at peace with God. If I can glorify, seek to glorify Him daily, I will be at peace with Him and in myself daily. I won't look at myself with a sense of guilt and failure. One of the things, I've talked with several different people about this over this time, and when you get to Christmas time, sometimes there's this sense of anxiousness in a way. And though we enjoy some of the moments, it also causes us to reflect on some negatives sometimes too. It makes me think, well, the year's over, and I planned to do this, but I didn't get it done. You ever felt that way at Christmas time? Or like, I wanted Christmas to work out this way, but it got so busy, and it, then that didn't happen, and then there's this angst within myself. Or I want to provide for my kids or grandkids these things, but I can't, and, and so there's this anxiousness to it. But the, life says, or the Bible says if we glorify God daily, and that is my main seeking, and that is my main purpose, then I'm at peace with whatever else happens in life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be careful, be anxious for 
Nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God, that the God of peace, or the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The picture here is that our hearts and minds are under assault by guilt and worries and threats, confusion, uncertainties. They all threaten our peace. But through God, He can lay peace over top of our anxiety. And because we can be at peace with God, and because we can be at peace in ourselves, that leads us to the final thing. We can be at peace with others. Romans 12, 18 says, If by possible at all, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes at Christmas you get together with people, and you get together with families, and you get together with all sorts of different people. Maybe it's people from work or people from the neighborhood. And sometimes... When you're looking out at those relationships and you realize there's not complete peace with those people at times. There may be a difference of opinion. There may be a painful memory. Uh, Sometimes it may be an old pain. Sometimes it may be a new pain. Sometimes it may be something of our own discontent. But if we continually cultivate a sense of amazement that God has forgiven my sins, it will distract me from the sins of others. In fact, it will make them insignificant. And I can then extend forgiveness and peace to others. Because if I will stay amazed that God has given peace to me, it will seem senseless and silly that I can't extend peace to others. And when I think about the fact that it makes the sin and troubles of others less baffling when I'm baffled by my own sin being forgiven, by my own guilt being taken away. And so this year, as we enter into this last my kids are counting down 10 days. It's an argument. Do you count the day of Christmas? Do you count, count Christmas Eve? Do you count the day that you're in? Or do you start the next 10 days, whatever it may be? Some may think nine. You may think eight. Some may think it's not here soon enough. Some may think I need another month. But it's coming. And as it comes this Christmas, you can extend to the glory of God, you can extend peace toward others. And like the verse says, toward All people, all men, a life that makes much of glorifying God is filled with peace. And our lives should be a picture of this glory going up to God because of his peace coming down to man. And this is the song that the angels sang. And it should be the song and the mission of our hearts. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your goodness. We thank you for this song. I thank you for Christmas. Some people, we we may not 